In order to retire successfully, you'll need vision. You'll also need a plan to execute that vision. Welcome to Retirement Pathfinder with Barbara Lane and Phil Gusky. On today's show, we'll give you the tools you need to navigate unique challenges you'll face in retirement. It's time to chart your financial future. Retirement Pathfinder starts now. Welcome back to another episode of the Retirement Pathfinder with Phil Gusky and Barbara Lane. We are back with a mailbag edition today. Going to answer a number of your questions. We've gotten in quite a few on the podcast. We want to spend some time today to kind of bounce around to a number of different topics. So we have four different questions we're going to get to today. They range all over the place. 401k, financial advisor conversation, some social security talk, uh, and investing in a moral item. So curious to see how that one goes. Uh, But let me welcome in Barbara and Phil. How are you guys doing? Good. How are doing you doing great. today, Ben? I'm doing well. I know it's that time of the year when uh, it's cold every, well, most everywhere, but the snow's coming down and you're probably dreaming <laughs> of getting out of town, right? And thinking about the warmer months. I am because it started snowing yesterday and it's still snowing today. And so I just scheduled a vacation for Florida in uh, April. So I'll, I'll think uh, about that these next couple months. Nice. Where are you <laughs> going? Well, I was really cold out on the on the tractor this morning, plowing <laughs> the driveway out because it was it was a cold. It was about negative 10 degrees Ugh. below zero this morning, boy, and it was cold on that tractor. So And tomorrow too, Phil. It's supposed to be cold I like know, this tomorrow. I know. Yep. No, thanks. Where are you going, Barbara? I'm going to go to Naples, Florida. Okay. For about a week. Yeah, the end of April, and uh, and it's supposed to be about 80s there, I, and, and spring break is over, so that would be good. <laughs> yeah, that will be. Yeah, you don't want to really uh, overlap with spring break if you can help it, uh, unless yeah. you're into that sort of thing, I guess. Depends. Yeah. Depends I, on what you I don't know that are. there'd be too much of that down there, but there could be, but I think I think we um, bypassed that. Good to hear. Well, looking forward to, we'll have to get an update from that uh, vacation later on this year when you go, but uh, Phil, you got anything planned, or... You uh, kind of uh, wait and see. nope nope. Uh, you know we we just enjoy our farm so much. We're out in the country there that uh, you know we feel like we're on vacation all the time. So nice. Why go someplace else? You know it's uh, really enjoyable to be out there. Exactly. Well, if you don't know Barbara and Phil, they are the retirement income planning specialists over at Pathfinder Wealth Management. They serve all of the Rockford area um, as well. So we like to talk a lot of different topics. We usually drill down into one topic on the show, but today we want to dive into the mailbag and take a bunch of different questions. If you ever have questions, you can call their office at 815-399-9806, or you can also connect online. Their website is pathfinderwealth.com and send in a question and we'll try to bring it on the show for a future episode and uh, let everybody hear the answer and try to help out as many people as possible. So let's dive into the mailbag. You guys ready? We're ready. Yeah, ready to go. All right, let's begin with the question from Emily. She writes, it appears that I'm now able to contribute more to my 401k this year than I was allowed to last year. Is it safe to assume that I should go ahead and put in the extra money? Well, I'll take that one. That's fantastic news, Emily, by the way. Hmm. For all practical purposes, yes, I would contribute as much as you're able to to your 401k. And is there an employer match? You always want to contribute at least what your employer matches. Otherwise, you're just giving away free money. But ideally, I would work up to contributing to the maximum. If you're under age 50, you can contribute $19,500 this year. If you're over age 50, you can contribute another 6500 So that's 500 more this year than last for a total of $26,000 inside of a qualified plan. Now, I will suggest to you, if you have a Roth 401k, I would contribute to that. For the small deduction that you would receive for contributing to the tax-deferred 401k, you'll be far greater ahead of the tax burden as that account value increases. And just as a side note, diversify amongst all asset classes. 
Sometimes these 401k plans don't have an awful lot of selection, but for the best that you you can, you want to have small companies and large and your value and your growth, both in U.S. and international. You want to have bond funds. If you're really in a good place by maxing out your 401k, then there are also options outside of that plan for you to continue to save for your retirement through an IRA or possibly a Roth IRA. Give us a call at 815-399-9806. We'd love to be able to help you. You know, you can't save too much money, Emily. And when I meet with my clients regularly, I share with them, how much do you have in your checking? How much is in savings? Because they're, inevitably, I, I have clients quite often that are shifting that money to continue to invest it. So even when you retire, you can still invest your money rather than having lazy money. Yeah, Barbara, you know, added to that, uh, employees really have difficulty really understanding what's in their 401k portfolio and what the options sure. are, what they do, uh, the difference between asset classes. So what we do is we offer, and we can offer this to Emily as well, the opportunity to either send us a copy of their 401k statement or bring it in, however they comfortable they feel, and we can go ahead and evaluate it for them, kind of give them some pointers on where to invest the money. We don't charge anything for that for our time. It's just a courtesy to them. For those people that listen to the podcast faithfully, we'll go ahead and offer that service to them. And, uh, and that will be a help to them because a lot of times they just pick whatever, you know, maybe throw a dart at the dartboard. Who yep. knows? Or go with something that the, their buddy at the water cooler suggested. Yeah, so I was just going to say it ends up being they, they uh, invest according to how their friends invest. And I, I hear that quite often. I just met with a lady last week that is actually going totally by the, uh, the selections that her friend is doing. There's a little danger in doing that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, there's no science to it. There's no quantitative way to be able to evaluate unless you get with an expert. And, uh, and that's where we're here to help. That's a guessing game. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, if you want to take them up on that offer, make sure you go give them a call, 815-399-9806, Emily, and uh, they'll be happy to, to assist you there. Our next question comes in from Miles. I've worked with a couple different financial advisors over the years, and I like them both. Do I need to pick just one or the other, or is it okay to work with a couple different people? Well, Miles, it sounds like you have a real happy situation going on with your friends there, and I don't want to rain on your parade, but I do want to... Um, address that question. And it's interesting. And uh, all I want to do is just share with you a personal experience I had recently. I once met with a a prospect who came to one of our financial classes who told me that if he hired me, I would be one of his his advisors. I would be advisor number four. Now, that what he said by that or what he meant by that is that he didn't have three previous advisors. I would be one of his four current advisors. Yeah. And so when I asked him why he needed that many advisors, he said that uh, he keeps an accurate uh, chart on how well each of these advisors did during a period of time. And whoever performed the best, he would go ahead and shift, periodically shift money to that advisor. Uh, He also added that he would never share the returns or strategies with the others in order to keep them on their toes to keep them competing. And so he wasn't even willing to share his portfolio with me at that point. So frankly, I, I didn't know that there were advisors around that were so desperate as to take this kind of a client on and involuntarily submit themselves to that kind of abuse. So I politely took myself out of the running as advisor number four. Now, it's kind of a humorous story, but it's kind of tragic too when you think about it because you know, it's an awful position to put yourself in either as a client or as an advisor. But the FPA, which is the Financial Planning Association's advice to clients, is to steer clear of multiple advisors. And the only time it might make sense is when a client needs a specialist in a particular area. And I'll give you an example. 
Uh, when we uh, work with uh, clients of substantial value, high net worth people, we will often need to engage a CPA or a life insurance person or somebody who has a uh, insurance specialty in healthcare or an estate planner, like an estate planning attorney, to serve in a coordinated team effort. And we would head up that team to ensure that we are all working in unison to fulfill our client's objectives. So I would suggest to Miles that he carefully evaluate his need for two advisors because of their differences in strategies, differences in investment philosophies and products that could result in conflict in a very unproductive outcome. So Miles, tread lightly in that particular area, my friend. I don't blame you. I would have said no, no to being number four also. All you're doing is, you know, sometimes what people do when they do that, they're, they're, they think that that's their way of diversifying also, you know, but they don't realize that there's probably a lot of overlap. What I thought of when you said that is, you know, you have to meet people sometimes where they are to begin with. And, mm-hmm. you know, I have to have an understanding of different investment philosophies. You know, are they looking for more of an active style or more of a passive academic style, such as what we use? The people I have noticed that are do-it-yourselfers are never going to agree to hand over reign of everything at once, but you have to have expectations from the start. Yeah, I think that really many times people's goals are to outperform the index or outperform the market, mm-hmm. and that is just a, uh, that is a fool's errand to try to do, Barb. I mean, as you know, I mean, it's just impossible to do that. Even the experts on Wall Street cannot do that consistently, yet they sell people on the idea that it's possible to do. Yeah. Well, you know, when we meet with our clients, though, Phil, we meet with them regularly. So if it starts out to where they've got their money elsewhere, we're, we're not only involved in their the financial aspect of their life, but just all areas. Yes. You know, so the protection, their estate planning and all. And when we meet with them, you know, many of the times we have clients coming to us because they've never heard from their other advisor. They never hear from them. They don't see them. And so when you develop a relationship, eventually, my experience is you get all the money. And so and they're happy because then they trust you at that point. Correct. Yeah, there's no conflict going on there. Yeah, it almost feels like if you have if you're working with multiple people, you don't completely trust one or the other uh, in order to put all your money in there with them. So, very interesting. That's, situa- true. That's right. That's yeah, right. interesting situation, uh, Miles. But uh, hopefully that answer helps you, and that uh, story from both of them help you as well. So, let's go to Jerry, uh, who wrote in next about Social Security. I just looked at my Social Security estimate that shows how much I'll get if I started at ages 62, 66, and 70. I'm blown away by how much more I'd get at 70, so I'm inclined to just wait until then to start, even though I'll probably retire around 66 or 67. I'm assuming that putting it off like this is the best course of action for someone like me? Oh, I can take that one. I like to answer a lot of Social Security questions, actually. You're the expert, Barb. (laughs) Well, uh, Jerry, Social Security questions are always good questions because that decision is final. So the first question that I would ask you is, are you married? And how is your health? If you're married, how is your spouse's health? And what sources do you have for all income in retirement? The break-even point is usually around age 80. So meaning if you take your benefits at 62 or 66 or 70 or any time in between those numbers and you live to just age 80, it's all the same in benefits. So the question is, Jerry, will you live past age 80? I mean, all kidding aside, sometimes it makes sense to wait because of the additional 8% per year increase beyond full retirement age, but sometimes it doesn't. A lot will depend on your other sources of retirement income, and it also depends on your expenses in retirement. That's the driver of your retirement. But you have to look at the differences between the highest payment for Social Security at age 70 and what you'll be drawing down from your retirement accounts for those three or four years, provided you have retirement accounts. If you have a pension, well, then that's another consideration. 
but you have to consider taxation. If the additional Social Security payment is going to bump you up into the next tax bracket, does it make sense to wait just to give much of that away to taxation? So unfortunately, Jerry, it may seem like an easy yes or no uh, answer to your question, but there is, is really no easy answer because every situation is different. Yeah, Barb, and you said that, uh, you know, it's, it's impossible to know when people are going to pass away if they live beyond age 80 and so forth. But I guarantee you that there's one other person besides the Lord that knows how long we're going to live. The government? The federal government. Yeah. In <laughs> fact, uh, your RMD table says that we're going to live to 97.4 because that's your life expectancy at age 70 is 27.4 years. So they know something we don't know. And, you know, if they know something about me, I don't know. I don't want to know what they know about me. And you get to then see, then you get to 97 and then you're supposed to live to, I think, another to 104. You live to 100. Then you get to 104. Yeah. Then it's 108. So, yeah, the longer you live, the longer you live. <laughs> yeah, they, they never, the, the taxation never stops. Exactly right. And I think most importantly, though, as you mentioned, I think the very beginning of that answer, Barbara, is you want to get it right the first time, right? Yeah. Yes, you do. Because you, if, if you don't get it right and you decide it was a mistake, you only got mm. 12 months to pay. It used to be for quite some time uh, in the future, but now you only have 12 months to repay those benefits. Um, beyond that, you're, you are stuck. Well, Jerry, there you go. So make sure you uh, sit down and actually talk about your situation because it, it looks like it's better on paper for sure, but it might not be your best decision for what you're, you want your retirement to look like. So good chance to talk with uh, Barbara and Phil over at Pathfinder Wealth. All right, our final question comes in from Susan. How do you avoid investing in things that you view as immoral? Take marijuana as an example. I'm in several mutual funds, but I don't know what stocks they're using. Could I be profiting off of the marijuana industry by accident? I don't want to do that. So how do you help navigate people through the investment world while respecting certain morals and religious beliefs? Yeah, that's that's <laughs> a good question. In fact, uh, you know that, that particular statement that Susan made is is very much the opposite of what we're hearing from some of the clients. You know, they want to invest in the marijuana industry because of the profits. <laughs> yeah. Susan's trying to run away from it. Well, what Susan is really talking about is something called investing in a socially responsible way. And over the years, we've had uh, many clients, we've engaged clients who uh, do not wish to invest in any products or services that they consider detrimental to society, the environment, or contrary to their moral or religious beliefs. And so I recently read an article that stated that of the $46 trillion of assets under management, 25% or $12 trillion was invested in socially responsible mutual funds, like what we're talking about. Mm -hmm. uh, that number was up 38% over the past two years. So it's becoming more and more popular for, for people as they become more socially aware of the impact of these particular detrimental products and services. Another term for this approach, uh, to money management is called impact investing. So whereas people are running away or trying to avoid certain sectors, there's also people that are trying to make an impact by investing in certain sectors. So instead of investing in, in liquor, tobacco, weapons, manufacturers, and so forth, what the impact investor will do is they're investing for change by investing in solar, wind, and alternative forms of energy. In one case, our firm could not place a client's investments because he didn't want any of it going to into the petroleum industry, as an example. He wanted to do no petroleum whatsoever. And we spent a lot of time researching uh, for his particular goals here, researching uh, the, the market. And as much as we tried to find a fund or a company to do this, we discovered that nearly everything we use in this society, in some way or another, uses petroleum-based chemicals or products, mm -hmm. or in the manufacturing product process, it uses petroleum-type derivatives and products and chemicals. So we couldn't help that person. The other difficulty with uh, either socially responsible investing or impact investing is finding investments that produce 
acceptable returns. Now, if you think about it, you know, the solar business is still a speculative business or alternative energy. That's speculative, Barb, you know. And studies have shown uh, that they will consistently underperform their index or benchmark due to high failure rates in these sectors. So you have to ask yourself, are you willing to settle for for subpar results with the possibility of of failed investments for the sake of your social responsibility or your your impact ideas and and positions? Or are you willing to uh, compromise and and get better returns? You know, our advice to our clients is to invest in, in an academically sound portfolio and then gift those profits to the causes and uh, that are near and dear to your heart. I think that would be the better way to do it, Barb. What do you think? You know, this is sounding really familiar, Phil. Yeah, I know. <laughs> you know? Uh-huh. Uh, but, you know, I share with them that since we don't stock pick, they may indirectly be invested with a company related to marijuana, but we wouldn't specifically target any company to invest. It would just be in the mix due to the company size. But I had a client that wanted nothing but socially responsible funds. And after several attempts at assuring her that due to a company's broad diversification across many lines, that she likely will still have dollars going not all to clean energy sources if she wanted a diversified portfolio. So the key when you're investing is still diversification. It's not sector investing. Remember in the 90s, Phil, when uh, everybody was flocking to technology and and then we had the bubble oh, burst. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So then people thought they were diversified. Well, if, they, if you had 10 different stocks, well, you know, you didn't have all your eggs in one basket, so you can call yourself diversified, but it's the wrong kind of diversification. And uh, then when those went south, there was nothing in those people's portfolios to offset those losses. You shouldn't have an entire portfolio dedicated to an area that you're passionate about. I'd say, like you did, Phil, contribute outside of your retirement account to those mm-hmm. causes that you're passionate yes. about. Yep. Yeah, that's a great yeah, question. Yeah, the interesting thing, Ben, I was going to just say one more thing, is that you know mutual funds, by and large, have freedom to invest where they want to. And quite frankly, you may buy a portfolio today that you're pleased with, but six months from now, it's changed entirely, and you have no idea what's in it. Very true. Yeah. Turnover's high. Mm-hmm. Well, what's the best way then at that in that case, uh, Phil, to kind of follow up and just see what's in your investment? Is it reading that prospectus that you get in the in the mail, or is there a certain a way to kind of track and see what actually yeah. you're being invested in? Well, you know, it's interesting to note that the prospectus the client will get is about six months old. Okay. And so the investments that are in the portfolio today aren't the ones that are necessarily described in the prospectus. So you have to basically be in contact directly with somebody at the mutual fund company or that ETF, whoever is running the fund, to find out what their holds are at that particular time and what they anticipate replacing at some point. There's ways to do it, but I guess the bottom line is you cannot stay completely clean when it comes to this type of investing. There's just not going to be a way to do that. Not at this time. There might be in the future, Ben, but not right now. Okay. Yeah, it has become very popular, though. Mm-hmm. Um, so very, very popular subject. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, well, all great questions today on the mailbag. Um, I know we we always encourage people to send them in, pathfinderwealth.com, or they can call your office as well. But I, I would say, I guess, too, you guys welcome any questions. If somebody doesn't want to air out their questions on the show, to call you guys directly, and you'll be happy to sit down with them. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Or send us an email. Sure. So do that. Uh, you can find all the information to connect and uh, contact Barbara and Phil at pathfinderwealth.com. But their phone number directly is 815-399-9806. So thanks for all the mailbag questions. And thanks, uh, Barbara and Phil, for the time to answer all these. And we'll, uh, we'll be checking the calendar for that vacation time here pretty soon. Yes. Thank all you, right. listeners.
information is for illustrative purposes only and does not constitute tax, investment, or legal advice. Always consult with a qualified investment, legal, or tax professional before taking any action.